0: That is, your, that is your voting guide. It's the book of Micah, and it is actually listening to this message by Jay Vernon McGee. So there you go. Um, but think about this. If you... How would it be if I wasn't at peace with God? Would I be a very good leader? Would I be a very good pastor if I wasn't at peace with God? Why? Well... All right, people are hard to get along with. Now, you, guys, you guys are a wreck. No. You guys drive me crazy. But you can't have peace with each other. You can't have peace in your family. You can't have peace in your work environment and your school environments unless you have peace with God first. Now, you can fake it. If you're not at peace with God, you can fake trying to get along with people. But the problem is is that the Lord is not in it, and so therefore there will be an undercurrent of manipulation. The only reason why you're going to try to be at peace with people is so that you can maintain the status quo, or that you can manipulate, or so that you can get things to go your way. But when you are at peace with God, you will have the supernatural peace to be at peace with others. We we value marriage ministry tremendously, and uh, you know we'll make you go to courses. We'll make you make take tests. We'll we'll give you books to study. We'll do all of these things. All personality, you know, figure out what's wrong with you. We'll do all of these things, but none of it is going to work unless you, as an individual, decide in your heart to be at peace with God. So that is, that's one of the criteria to, in, in order to being a Christian leader. You have to say, am I at peace with God or is my soul warring with God? Now, the same, the exact same standard applies to our political leaders. If our political leaders are not at peace with God, there is no possible way that they can be at peace with any other nation in a healthy way. They will not be brokers of God's peace. They will be manipulators of man's power. So yeah, we need to vote for whoever we feel is morally, spiritually at peace with God. I'm not going to give you any answers for that, but that's how I'm going to vote. I don't know, I mean, that's just how I have to do it. Micah talks specifically about it. Now, if you've been coming for the past few weeks, you know that the historical context of what Israel is going through, the the Assyrians have come in and they have devastated and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And guess what? This is the tough part. It is God's judgment it it is God God uses the Assyrians, and <laughs> this is so difficult. it's like I, I struggle with it, and, and, and the people that are teaching this right now have been struggling with it. How do I, how in the world do we, would they, this was god's judgment why would Why would a good and loving God allow these Assyrians to come in? And one of the things that I hope that we've seen so far is that that God is a just God he loves mercy he is slow to anger and abounding in love his grace overflows to the point where it doesn't make any sense his God has crazy grace and one of the things that when we read these stories it's like uh, i don't understand I, I don't I don't get this this not this doesn't compute they have gone Hundreds of years, the the people of Israel have gone hundreds of years of living a lifestyle of debauchery and idolatry and violence and stealing and greed. And specifically the northern kingdom, they've set up two major shrines where they've built these golden calves. and, And Jeroboam says, here, O Israel, are your gods that delivered you out of slavery. So God's ticked off, right? But so they put their trust. But the, the, the judgment, the, the moving of God's hand, this... And again, Micah, is, he is prophesying what will happen to not only Israel, but also to Judah. He is prophesying what is going to happen because God is a lover of justice. Micah is amazing because it is... Uh, remember last week I said that Jonah and Nahum were probably roommates in college, because they both hated the, the Ninevites, and there's probably about a hundred years between the two, so they couldn't possibly be Ninevites, but they both had this, this racial hatred for the Ninevites, and as we saw last week, it was probably, yeah, I hate them too. It's like, it's like ISIS. Micah and Isaiah were contemporaries. And it really looks like that they were roommates because their language is similar and their outline is similar. Isaiah is, is, a, is a, of course, it's a larger book in the Bible. Micah is a smaller book, but they are saying the same stuff. Micah is the cliff notes for Isaiah. Scholars can't figure out who, who ripped off who. I, don't, I think Holy Spirit was speaking to both of them. I don't, think any, I don't think Micah copied off of Isaiah. I don't think he got into his, his school notes and copied it off I don't, or the other way around. I think that this is the Word of God to these people, to the people of Israel, and when the Holy Spirit speaks to people in historical context, it's going to come out the same. So that's, that's my opinion on it. But this is, Mike, is, he really drills down what the issue is. Why God's judgment is being poured out on God's people. Why they are finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years of disobedience towards God, why finally they're paying the price for their sins. Why now it's finally coming to a head. And the reason why it's coming to a head, the reason why the country is going to hell in a handbasket, is because the religious leaders and the political leaders... Have taken it too far. Let's, let's do some reading. First of all, uh, Micah chapter 2, first, uh, verse 6, we begin to see this, this false prophetic spirit. And and again, it's not j- when we're talking about prophet in this in this tense. Um, okay, you could say that I'm a prophet. If you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends and your neighbors and your family, if you are bold enough to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to go for it, I'm going to present it, guess what? You're a prophet too, because you are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And any boy band that's on the radio, they're prophets as well. Don't, do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Right, what's he saying? What are these prophets saying? What, what, I thought God was good. Why would he get angry for my lifestyle? I go to church, I live two different lives. I've got my spiritual life, and then I've got my contemporary life. Uh, Why would God get angry about the way that we live our lives? And this is what the prophets are saying. Chapter 3. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Should Should you know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people... And the flesh from their bones. Down to verse 5. This is what the Lord says As the prophets who lead my people astray, if one of them feed, feeds them, the, the proclaim peace, if he does not. And then in verse 9 Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. You who despise justice and distort all that is right. You who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Does that sound familiar? Rulers, the, the, the ruling class, they have despised justice and they distort what is right. It's sounding familiar. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Okay, did you see that? All right. So rulers, they rule for a bribe, and the prophets, they teach for what? For a price. So I will bless you if you give me money. And we've seen this. We've seen it, okay, politically we've seen it, but in the Church of America, we've seen the same exact thing, and we've actually fallen prey to it. It's where a lot of our disillusionment of God has come into place. Okay, we talked about the boy bands, right? Remember, who survived the 80s and the 90s? You survived the 80s and the 90s. You remember that whole rash of of televangelist scandal? The bakers. Like, okay, I, like, like, culturally, I didn't really like the bakers. I thought they were a little weird and cheesy. But they did stuff that no one else had ever done before. They spread the gospel faster than anybody else. And then they had that huge moral failing because there was a, there was a weakness in, in their character. And because of that weakness in the character, they became a the laughingstock of the nation. And then we had all the other, you know, all the other scandals that were just, they were just embarrassing. You remember how embarrassed you felt as a Christian when all of this stuff was going out, going down? It's like you just almost wanted to distance yourselves from it. It's like, well, you know, I don't watch that show, or that's not my denomination. I mean, in in reality, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who had fallen. Just, it just was embarrassing. They were, they were called to a higher standard, and they, they lost it. And what was the problem? Um, and again, it's hard for us to actually look from the outside and judge the intentions of the heart. But I would say there's probably two things that got taken to extreme that has really messed with our theology. Now, God loves you. He, he wants to prosper you. He really does. He, he, wants, to, he wants to give you good gifts, He doesn't want you to be poor. And maybe you feel like God wants me to be poor. He doesn't. (laughs) It's like, well, that's funny, Josh. That's just not my experience right now. (laughs) He doesn't. He wants to get you out of poverty. But from our fallen human nature, we have aligned ourselves with prophets that have said, pushed that button, pushed our buttons for success, that said, if you want to be blessed, then you must align yourself to prosperity gospel. What is is prosperity gospel? It is biblical, because God does want you to be prosperous, but here's where the the, the twisting and the distortion came in. This is what prosperity gospel looks like. If you want God's blessing in your lives... um, Maybe you only have $100 in your bank account. Then you need to sow in for success and you need to give me $1,000. And then you make your check out to Joshua Kapchinski Ministries. And then God will bless you. That's 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 prosperity gospel. And then it's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is you've got to tithe in order to take that curse of of mammon off of your life. The the, the, the very simple fact of tithing will relieve you from all of this stress of of poverty and ruin and wreck. I, I don't think I'm gonna have time to get into it. But do you see that that buying of a blessing was the distortion of the gospel? That, that going to the next conference or that, that purchasing of, you remember when, um, when, when preachers were blessing objects and mailing it to you in the mail? <laughs> you remember that? It's the same concept. It is, it's, it's what Micah is talking about. These prophets, like, they're, they're telling us, us poor people, what our itching ears want to hear, that God's just going to bless you, and he doesn't really care about your character. He doesn't... He, why would God be angry about your lifestyle? Why would, why would be... God's okay with your sin. He really is. But he just wants to bless you. So you can do both. You can live both lives. And that's, that's what Micah witnessed. And at the same time... Um, The leaders, these these princes of Judah, were taking land away, divinely appointed land, away from poor people. See, God appointed specific tracts of land to specific tribes and specific families, and they were to own them for life. Not not just life, but for generations. So it it was a land deed that got passed down from generation to generation. And the princes of Judah took it away by force from the poor. And God wasn't okay with it. He wasn't okay with their form of justice or their form of political power. He wasn't okay with it. Her leaders judge for a bribe, and her priests they teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord, and they say, is the Lord not among us? (laughs) Do you see what he's saying? Can we can we as Christian Americans be so self-deceived as the ancients? I think so. Because the ancients were pretty smart. Like, they're amazing. The ancients are actually, they got, I think they got it going on better than we do. Even though we have all the toys, all the technology, all the advancements, the ancients were smart. Is not the Lord among us? I think that we've got to ask that question. I mean, maybe, maybe... Um, on a macro level for sure like is the Lord not among the nation of America is God with us or are we post Christian nation I don't look who we put in office look who we're voting for is the Lord still among us Can can we really ask that question do any of our leaders fear the Lord? Do any of them walk humbly? Do they? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about character issues. Policy set aside. I'm talking about character issues. Are they, have they, are they surrendered to the Lord? I just don't see it. And I've really struggled with this, and I've really... If I'm right, I'm going to say, I told you so. If I'm wrong, we're going to delete this message. But (laughs) I think the parallel between uh, Micah's age, his time, and our time is eerily similar. I, I believe that the writing is on the wall. Like Micah could actually look at the, what was going on in the political landscape and in the religious landscape. He knew that the Assyrians were mustering their forces in the north. He knew that there was so much moral degradation within his own society. He knew that there was so much corruption that the whole nation was this, this big giant straw man. And all it needed was just a little fire to just burn the whole thing down. And it happened. But and it's almost like you almost don't really need to be a prophet of God to see what the writing on the wall is. And I don't know if this is from the Lord or if this is just me watching the news. But my gosh, I'm like reaching for the Prozac after I watch the news at night. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. We have never seen our nation in such ways. So are we in a time of judgment? Has the Lord taken his hand away from blessing our nation? I think so. Again, this is the one that I might re- erase later. But I really just feel like that this could be it. Is that fear? Eh, it doesn't have to be. It's probably a really good thing. Because although that, um, it's a really good thing for you, it's probably a really good thing for your kids. For all, though, that uh, Micah, he was a prophet of God, and you could say, ah, and and then the uh, modern Bible scholars would say, ah, he's just copying Isaiah, oh, he's just seeing the writing on the wall. It's a very weak prophecy because, yeah, anybody could see that the nation was going to fall apart any minute now. All you got to do is just look around what's going on around the world. Of course, Micah saw that the world was falling apart. But this is what Micah saw. This is what makes him a prophet high above any other prophet. Not any other prophet, but this is what makes him a prophet of God. Chapter 4, verse 11. But, my, but now many nations have gathered against you, they say. Let her be defiled. Let her eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughters of Zion, I will give you horns of iron. You know what that is? It's power. It is a divine power that He's gonna give His the daughters of Zion. That's you. If you are I'll tell you in a second, if you are something. I will give you hooves of bronze and you will break to pieces many nations. This is the prophet this is this is Micah seeing into the future beyond his own circumstances beyond the knucklehead rulers that he's got to deal with he's seeing way into the future right now. He knows that there's something coming. There's something coming that is going to completely change the world, and not only break his nation, but break all nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, the wealth of the Lord of all the earth. Now that's, I'm looking forward to that. And imagine if, uh, we, if the church of Jesus Christ got the ill-gotten gains of the world. So everybody go buy a lottery ticket today. All right? Ill-gotten gains. Let's just take the offering and go to Las Vegas and see what God does. (laughs) Don't do that. That's me telling a joke. All right. Chapter 5. Marshal your troops, O cities of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. He says, get ready. Brace yourselves. Because it's coming. The Assyrians are coming. The Babylonians are coming. The end is near. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come From me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. That's Jesus. Micah is saying, they're coming. Like, this... This little uh, Shangri-La, this false little kingdom that we've made for ourselves that we think that God is blessing. Oh, he's not blessing it because it is is a distortion. It is a perversion of what is right, what is just, what gives mercy. No, there is one coming, a, a true king of the princes of Judah. And not only will he be a king, he will be a prince and he will be a prophet. And he will be a priest. He will be the ultimate priest king. All right, so how are you feeling? I know, it's tough, huh? I think, I think we're headed into change. Now, I, you know, I can't watch you know, too much TV right now or any of these end-of-days shows. i got to stay away from that. But I think our country is going to change. I think our world is going to change. Is it just me, or do you feel that, there's a going, that we are in the calm before the storm? Yeah? It's not just me? Are, are we in the calm before the storm? It's a good thing. You know why it's a good thing? Because the Lord, as we, if you were here last week, the Lord is always in the whirlwind. And so when we get pushed into this coming whirlwind of who knows what it's going to look like. When we get pushed into this whirlwind... Brothers and sisters, you've got to know that the Lord is in the whirlwind. Did he cause the whirlwind? No. But he is in the whirlwind, and he works better in the whirlwind than he does in our creature comforts of contemporary modern Christianity. No, he loves working in the whirlwind. And maybe our kids are going to be in this whirlwind. We have to prepare them. It's good if our country gets pushed into judgment. It's good if we have things taken away from us. It might even be good for us to suffer for the Lord. When was the last time you suffered for God? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm about ready to suffer when you pass the offering baskets, Pastor Josh. <laughs> I'm about ready to... <laughs> when was the last time you, you uh, symbolically sat at the blood-stained cross, and you thought to yourself, when was the last time I suffered for Jesus? Huh? Uh, first service, I had a pastor that, that shared... He's a, he was a missionary to China for 20 years. And um, a la- couple weeks ago, uh, he was driving by, and the Holy Spirit said, stop your car, go to that church, and get prayer. He never, he, he's... Grew up in this area, drove by this building a million times, had no idea who we were, didn't even know what denomination we were, whatever. But he was obedient to the Holy Spirit, came in and received prayer because he's grieving the loss of his wife. His wife died at 52 years old. He's been serving as an, in China for 20 years. He's, bi, he's biracial. He's Chinese and he's an American. And that's... That's that's confusing, right? The church in China is still underground. Despite their whole fascination with material wealth, despite the fact that they are becoming the world power, that they have probably already surpassed us financially. Well, I don't know how much money we owe them, but it's crazy that we have let in the you know. Well, anyway, that's, that's politics. I'll leave that alone. You see what I'm going at, though. They, their church is still suppressed and underground. They have to meet secretly. You don't. Their young people get arrested and put in jail for singing songs to Jesus. Our young people won't get out of the tour bus because they're afraid I'm going to beat them up. Our young people won't do a show unless 100 people show up. In China, a good meeting is 30 people that don't get beat up afterwards or they don't get squealed on by the secret police. How's your worship life? How are you doing with your worship life? I don't know. What time did you roll in today? I'm sorry, I don't mean to guilt you, but just think about this. Like, how much of a value do you place on worshiping God? What time did you roll in today? I value my work, so therefore I get to work on time. I value my kid's education, so therefore I'm going to get my kid to school on time. Do you value worshiping God in God's house? Did you get here on time? Sorry for the guilt trip. But there's a point to this. Because in China, you cannot worship in certain areas with your voice. So Pastor David's church, when they worship, he, he, says he, he walked into a... There's actually one of the largest gatherings in China in a church is a, is a church of 50 people. So look around. So we would be a mega church to them. So 50 people, and they get to meet in a hotel... It's because there's money being exchanged. And so they're, they're going to, you know, the, the hotel manager is going to take the risk because he's getting paid to do it. And so this is the largest meeting room that they can have. And in this province, it's somewhat safe. Depends on what province you're in. Some provinces, you get killed for worshiping Jesus. But in this province, you know, money is becoming their idol. So, yeah, this whole communist thing isn't working out for them. Go figure. And so they're like... All right, we'll we'll allow you to do it as long as you pay us. And so they get, but here's the catch. If anybody complains, and if they call the authorities, we're not sticking up for you. So their worship service is done in silence. Pastor David shows up. He walks into this room of 50 people, and he thinks that he has lost his hearing. Because all of these young people, they're all in their 20s by the way, they are worshiping God, they're shouting out loud, but there's nothing coming out vocally. They are expressing their love and their gratitude to the Lord, but they can't do it verbally so that instead they worship with spirit and in truth. I, I told them, I have to see that. Like that's like on my bucket list, I've got to see that. We don't do that, Right? It's got to, you know, what's in it for me? Why is it a blessing if, our, if things fall apart? There was always a remnant. Whenever God came in and cleaned house, whenever He came in and He straightened up His prophets, and when He straightened up His rulers and His leaders, whenever God said, It is not okay to enslave people, it is not okay to hurt each other, it is not okay to take advantage of the poor. And when God came in, comes in and he cleans house, for lack of a better word, when there is judgment that's poured out, always there's a remnant left behind. And what happens with Micah after Micah sees the remnant, and then we, as we we're going to see as we continue on with Daniel, uh, that remnant gets carried off into the great diaspora, the dispersal of the Jewish people into the nations through, ironically, slavery. They all get hauled out. But the ones that get hauled out, their heart is still for the Lord. Micah calls them the remnant who will change the world. The remnant. And let's just say, hypothetically, that my gloom and doom message does come true. And everything falls apart, and maybe someday we are serving in the great republic of California, and not the republic of the United States. Let's just say it does happen. Let's say all of the all of the end time prophets are right. Like you want to you want to mind, you want to expand your mind to start googling end time prophets. It'll freak you out. Let's just say it just happens to be right. Are you a remnant? Are you a remnant? Will you still love the Lord when everything's taken away from you? Will you still love the Lord when you're suffering for Him? Will you still love the Lord when you lose your 501c3? You don't know, that's 501k or whatever. You lose your retirement. Will you, st- will you still love the Lord even if Raiders, come in and take your house away from you. You lose your job. You, will you still love the Lord? Would you be willing to worship silently if, if, if oppression comes to the church so much? Would you still love? I met a young man after second service. He's like, oh, pastor. He says, I, I, this, I love Jesus so much and I want I want to know more like I want I want more of what you have I want more what you're what what's coming out what I hear what I read and he says but my heart is hurting so bad because there's nobody to teach me like there's nobody in my community that ready for this has the same heart to know the Lord that the way that I do. Oh, is this a wake-up call? Because the disillusioned Christian is something that young Christians can't identify with because they are identifying with being in love with Jesus. And if us old folks are so grumpy and complaining and disillusioned with the government, disillusioned with church, disillusioned with life, disillusioned with our retirement, if that is all our world is consumed around, uh, guess who's watching? Guess who's watching? And maybe they're not in your business, but they can sense it. They can sense this dissatisfaction with the things of the Lord. They can sense the. You think you think that the millennials are are apathetic. No, they're just they're 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 following our lead. They're following our lead. So yeah, I think the end's near. And I think it's a good thing. And I think for us, like, what do we do? I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Really? I, hope, I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong too. Actually, I do. What do I do? What do, who do I vote for? I don't know. What do I do? How do I, all right, actually Micah tells us. Micah says, he has showed you. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, Church Granite Creek? What does God require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. With our God. That's, what we're, that's, what, that's what's required. So when the Assyrians are coming, when the Babylonians are on their way, we don't have communists to fear anymore. I'm not quite sure who we fear nowadays. But when they're coming, what do we do? Love justice. Love mercy. And Most importantly, walk humbly. Okay, how many people are feeling like they're going through trials and tribulations right now? Like you are living in hell right now. What does God require? What does he suggest that you do? He says don't stop. When you're going through hell, stopping is a really bad idea. When you're going through difficult times, when you're struggling, when you're when you're desperate, when you feel like oh, I don't have I don't have power to do good or evil, Pastor Josh, I just I'm trying to pay my bills. What do I do? Just walk, 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 and walk humbly. Like I would rig elections to vote for somebody that walked humbly with the Lord. When was the last time we had a humble politician that we could put our weight behind? I would steal for that, that candidate. It's not, I shouldn't say that. But you see what I mean. I would hit the campaign trail for a humble leader. But again, I think we're, I think we're past the point of no return. I think we probably crossed, it a long, we crossed the Rubicon a long time ago. And now I think we're finally getting what we deserve. We, we get the leaders that we deserve. And I think we're getting them. So what do you do? You walk humbly with the Lord. You draw your kids in closer. Look, you, The best thing that we can do is not to get consumed with the myopic view of November, of that special day when we become real Americans and we get to vote. Don't get so consumed with that one point in history because that's not it. That is is insignificant. That that, that day when you pull that lever, when you punch that card, whatever you touch that screen, it is not going to change the world. Jesus will change the world. Kingdom of heaven lives inside of mankind. So if you want to change the world, discover the kingdom of heaven, which is presiding inside of you. Quit searching for fulfillment somewhere else. We were made in the image of God, and it's inside of you, and you can find it. You don't have to go to the mountain. You don't have to go to the guru. You don't have to go to the self-help book at Barnes & Noble. Kingdom of heaven is inside of you. Find it. Share that hope of glory with your children. Don't get them depressed about the news and your, your fears that you have for the coming day of election and what's going to take place. If anything... If if this nation goes to hell in a handbasket, it's probably going to be really good for your kids. Because hopefully your kids will be the remnant. They'll be the ones that will be passionate to sing silently. That's that's my desire. It's probably a good thing. It's okay. No matter how much we might get disappointed in the future, it's going to be okay. As long as we're walking, walking, walking humbly with our Lord, there's probably more opportunity, more horns of power, feet of iron coming soon than ever was before. Incredible time of opportunity. And you get, you get a chance. Say to your kids, you know what, honey? Don't, don't, don't put your faith and your trust and your hope in a boy band. And write the music. That, those beautiful words and those melodies that, that got inside your soul and they, that, that lifted you up into a higher place, um, that, that spoiled brat didn't write that song. Jesus wrote that song to minister to your soul. And so don't let go of that, that hope that was placed there by that beautiful music. That's from the Lord. And likewise, we need to tell our kids, don't put your faith and your hope in man into political leaders, male and female, that are going to disappoint you. They will. Don't let that bitterness and that antagonistic spirit infect you, or infect your kids. Say to them, honey, they say nice things but they're doing it for money. They're doing it for a bribe. Don't put your hope and your faith in Jesus. He's the only one that will let you down. Won't let you down. And even, uh, you know what? I don't let you down. I'm human. Don't put your faith and your hope in me. If you do, Joshua Kapczynski, Joshua Kapczynski Ministries. I don't do that. I you don't have to buy a blessing. I'm going to give you one after the service. You don't have to buy a prophetic word. You don't have to buy hope for your future. No, you don't have to. Walk humbly with your God. Put your faith and your trust in Him and not in mankind. And for us seasoned adults, no matter what happens, pray to God I'm wrong. But no, even if I if I'm wrong or if I'm right, no matter what happens. Maybe your life circumstances are really bad. Like maybe it is financial issues, maybe it is physical issues, relational issues. You just so hurt and disillusioned and frustrated. Say. It's well with my soul. It is well with my soul. I don't know why I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm physically hurting. But I'm not going to allow it to boil into offense towards God. It is well with my soul. And that's what God would have for us today. Take that away today. Say, God, I want to be a remnant. I want to be a remnant. I want to be a daughter of Zion who has power and authority and wheels and circumstances and events and situations don't dictate my identity. Circumstances, situations, difficulties, whirlwinds are an opportunity for me to shine as a daughter of Zion. I have a band come on up to the front. And it is the time to give back to God. So I hope you're not buying a blessing today. I hope you're not um, giving out of an obligated heart. The Bible says that you need to give joyfully. So if you can't give in that spirit, that's probably not a good idea to give. I'll tell you this. There's, there's, there's a war in us. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a war for your heart, a war for your affections. Materialism and the desires of the flesh are the patterns of this world. And it's, it's those powers that are running our country. Materialism and the desires of the flesh. In order to, you have to be with peace with God in order to allow God to bless you. So are you at peace with God? You can't build healthy relationships with other people unless you're at peace with God. You might have all the psychological tricks, but you can't build healthy relationships until you're at first peace, at peace with God. And, I mean, since this is the giving part of the message, I want... Look. You can't buy a blessing... But you can be faithful. You can be faithful to the tithe. And maybe some of you can't do that today. I don't think that you should. But I think that you need to like perfectly consider, how do I put God's mark on my finances? Begin to work it out. Begin to, to seek God in prayer on that. How do I do it? How do I, how do I get God on my side? How do I... I mean, that sounds manipulative, I know, but look. Cain and Abel both gave an offering. Cain was the firstborn. He was the farmer. And farmers farmers own land. Who do you think is meaner and more violent, prone to bloodshed? A farmer or a hunter? Farmers. Are, I know this is maybe you do maybe you're a farmer. I'm sorry if I offend you. But historically, <laughs> farmers are more violent and prone to bloodshed and inflicting harm on other people because they have a sense of material possession. They own the land, they farm the land, that is theirs. If you step on it, if you put, pick off fruit on it, you're going to pay the consequences and you're gonna, you're, we're going to go to war. That's why we go to war. We go, we go to war after land. And so Cain brought his offering, which you think that God would want to receive his offering, but it was a portion of some of what he was harvesting. His younger brother, we've gone over this theme of the younger brother thing, his younger brother, the Bible says, um, tended flocks. I don't know, the, the, I'm fascinated by this, by the way. But the Hebrew word for the tempted flocks is somebody that chased after animals. He was a hunter-gatherer. There was no need to domesticate animals when you're only like the fourth person in existence. He was a hunter-gatherer. He had no concept or no value of owning material things. He was free from materialism and because he was free from the materialism he gave the first portions of his fat and that's what God received and he was pleased with it does that make sense wouldn't it, I mean I, I'm like a slave to my phone I'm a slave to my computer I'm a slave to all these things man if I did not tithe they would just my material stuff would suck me in like I would be I'd be buying all kinds of antiques more, 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 more. And God wants to free us of that. That's the secret of the tithe. Sorry for the tithe message, but I just think that I need to share that today. I think it might even free somebody. So go home, prayerfully consider. You know, what do I got to do? I don't, God, I don't want to buy your blessings. I don't want to buy favor from the church. or for, you know, I don't want to lift myself up into higher areas because I you know, gave some money. Th- th- to stop that. Walk humbly before your God. God, in my humble state, how do I give joyfully so that I can be free from material possessions? Really good place to start. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being in this place. And Holy Spirit, come. Come that we need to align ourselves with your truth and your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love and mercy. When we have deserved stuff, you haven't, you haven't poured it out on us because you know and you understand and you, you feel our pain and our grief. You feel it so much that's, that Jesus' body is actually feeling it right now. God, thank you for looking down on us and saying, you know what, honey? Don't put your hope and trust in that stuff. Put your hope and faith in me. I'll walk you through this. I'll keep you moving. I'll keep you walking. Let's not stop now. Let's not stop now. The Holy Spirit, come. and Just touch this church that is so strategically located. Touch this church that has an incredible vision and a mission and a purpose. May our will line up with your will so that we can boldly go into your presence. And when we ask for anything, you give it. I pray you bless this offering. Just continue to bless us. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.